I love that you use the word pivot because, you know, we're talking about 2021. And I think that that's such an important thing for businesses to keep in mind. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. My name is Matt Rouse and I'm your host. And today, my guest is Eric Dickman. How are you, Eric? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on the show today. Hey, thanks for taking time out of your own podcast to be on our podcast. I've got a quick bio here for you. I want to let people know who you are. So Eric is an executive leader with over 30 years of experience in marketing, product development, digital transformation, and has worked with large global companies as well as small startups to develop strategies to bring innovative products to market. He's also the host of a weekly podcast, The Virtual CMO. And that show is geared towards marketing professionals looking for tactics and strategies to improve their company's marketing trajectory. Man, our show is also, I I always like to have some kind of actionable tactic or information every single episode so that when people listen, they can walk away and they can do something. And uh, so, yeah, I love it. And uh, I'm going to give your show a listen. I didn't I didn't ahead of time. So I apologize. But uh, no, that's great. I appreciate you mentioning it here. It's uh, it's fun to talk about these topics. So this is going to air end of January and we're just at the end of December right now in 2020. So it'll be 2021 when this comes out. And so I'd like to to maybe make some predictions for 2021 and we can see if those kind of bear fruit. But what do you think that maybe small businesses and CMOs and maybe even other agencies should be looking out for in 2021? Well, you know, this has been quite the year, right? 2020 just didn't pan out the way anybody expected it would. And it's full of so many contradictions because and one side, you've got the stock market, which has been doing tremendous And on the other side, you just drive down Main Street and you can see how many businesses have closed and how business has really been transformed as people are uh, working remotely. This is going to have huge impacts on real estate, both housing and commercial real estate. So I think that there's a lot that we have yet to see in terms of how all of this is going to settle out. But I think especially for a lot of small businesses, what the opportunity in 2021 is, is to really start accelerating your marketing again, because there's been so much uncertainty this year that I think a lot of people have pulled back. And especially given the fact that there's been strains on a lot of competitors uh, in a lot of industries and spaces, I think that there will be real opportunities for those businesses, especially the ones that are still strong coming out of this, to really accelerate their marketing activities and really try to say, how can we take advantage of on otherwise, you know, the economy was fairly robust before all this happened. And if we can sort of get back to some semblance of normalcy by the middle of the year, I think there's really an opportunity for companies to take advantage of this time, especially in the first and second quarter of 2021. You're seeing that same kind of thing? So, well, I've, you know what, I've, I've kind of seen both sides. So, and I think it's going to be one of those things that kind of falls down industry barrier or like industry markets. So I've got some people who are on kind of the naysayer side, right? And they're like, brace for impacts kind of thing, because all the fallout's going to start to happen in the first quarter of 2021. And those people seem to be recommending a strategy, more of kind of a survival strategy, right? Like, 
Let's look at our supply chain. Let's look at other things that happen that may be related to our industry, our consumer behavior, that kind of information. And then on the other side, I've got people who are going, look at all the opportunity that this has created, right? You've got all these people doing different things, people going online, more businesses selling online. You've got things like curbside pickup that didn't really happen before, which, again, I'm not really sure why that was never a thing, but it always should have been a thing. And COVID's kind of pulled back the curtain on a lot of industries, too, right? It said, look, there's there's things that we should have been doing all along that we never did. You know, so there's a, there's a lot of room there, but also there's been a, a real decimation in some of the industries too, right? Like your trade show industry, obviously offline events, music, shows, like stage shows, that kind of thing, movie theaters, you know, so there's a lot of fallout in there too. Very dependent by industry, just like you said, I think people are going to have to look for opportunities in industries where there's been change and there are going to be some industries that may never come back. Who knows whether the movie theaters are going to be back or, you know, what it's going to take to get some of these live entertainment venues back. I live in Orlando and they, they certainly have felt the effects of it in a lot of places here. Right. There's also the, there's two vaccines already being rolled out now. Another one soon to be kind of right around the corner. How much they can get those delivered by when is going to be hard to say. But I think once they've got it delivered to, you know, the people who are in the at risk populations, you know, first responders, caregivers, that kind of, you know, place, as long as the vaccine works. I mean, that's I'm not a medical professional. You know, that could be a game changer for business, right? where people don't have to see COVID around every quarter when they leave their house. You're exactly right. I think those vaccines are going to be game changers. But I also wonder if businesses are going to look at this and say, okay, this happened, but it could happen again. What's the the next virus after COVID that potentially could do the same thing? Who knows? It may be another hundred years before we get something like this, but we've had a few SARS-like viruses over the past decades. And it's not unreasonable to think that something similar could come along in a matter of time. And if you look at businesses, just as one example, they've put up all these plexiglass shields in front of their cash registers to protect people. Well, most of that stuff is practically, you know, glued on or, you know, stapled on. It's it's nothing permanent because it had to happen so quickly. I can see significant changes in the design of stores and the design of bank branches, just in the whole checkout experience that you experience at a lot of retailers. So somebody's got to come in and take advantage of all of these things. We've seen a huge pullback on the use of cash and more incentive to use, you know, cashless payment systems. So you've got things like Apple Pay and Android Pay and all these, you know, tap and pay cards. I think those have been slow to get adoption prior to COVID. And now we're seeing a big uptick in their use. So little things like this, I think, are going to be drivers for some big change. And if people can figure out which trends to sort of latch onto, I think there are a lot of opportunities, even if the economy ends up opening more slowly than we hope cashiers are going to start looking like the customs place you go to at the airport, right? Or the money changer, you know, is just a little hole in the bottom. Or like, I don't know if you've ever been to Detroit, Michigan. I have. If you go to a fast food place, it looks like that. It's like bulletproof glass with like a little place to slide your money underneath, you know? (laughs) But anyway, that's another story. So (laughs) it's true, though. One thing that's interesting about touchless payment that I really found interesting was in, I I recently uh, moved to Canada, back to Canada technically, but I was in the United States for 20 years. They asked me when I got my bank account, do you want to use tap? And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, yeah, I use my tap. 
you know, whatever. But it's the, the, the touch payment cards, right? They weren't even a thing in Portland, you know, at least not until recently. But Apple Pay, you know, if you have it on your phone or something or Google Pay, right, where you just put your phone up against the machine. Everybody's going to have to update those payment machines in all the offices because they have to have the more modern machines, have to have the chip in it for that or the scanner, whatever you call it, the reader. And there was the change shortage. That was the weirdest thing. I don't know why there's a change shortage. Everybody just kept their change for some reason. Yeah, that was a bizarre one, wasn't it? But I think, you know, just to your point about the cashless payments, I think the financial institutions did a very poor job. You know, talk about marketing here. I think they did a very poor job of really saying what the benefit was. Why is it going to make any difference if I hold my phone up to something or if I pull my card out of my wallet to do it? And then all of a sudden COVID comes along and there was a real benefit. You didn't have to touch anything. Right. And I think I was in New York not too long ago and they've slowly converted over their metro system to now use this express transit feature that's on the phones. So you just simply walk by with your phone and, you know, you're charged. You don't have to prepay and buy a card that expires over time. Now it just charges you per transaction. So all of a sudden there was a huge benefit to people to embrace this technology and to start using it. And I think that's what they sort of failed to do when they rolled this stuff out is they didn't really make a compelling value proposition as to why it's a whole lot better other than security, which was somewhat ambiguous to people as to why it was better. I have seen so many failures of large industry just recently that it's it's mind boggling that they haven't kind of got with the game plan yet. So I'll give you a few examples. And these are within the last 30 days examples. Okay, I went to ship something at a store, right? Like a shipping place. I won't say which one. I went in there. I said, can I use Apple Pay? They said, yeah, because I want to use it because it's touchless, right? Right. So the first thing it asks you is the amount on the screen. It says, is this OK? And you have to hit the green button to say OK before you use your touchless payment. Like, fucking turn that off. Right. That's the dumbest thing to have ever. So I was moving. I needed to change the address for my business at one of the major banks in the United States. And they said, you can't change it online. You have to come into a branch. So I went to the branch and I went to the drive through window because I'm like, if I got to go to the branch, at least I go to the drive through window, put my mask on. I go there. It says drive through window permanently closed due to COVID. <laughs> That's the opposite of what you should do. You don't force people to go in. You force them to go to the drive through window. Right. Yeah. It's just absolutely asinine. And I mean, there's hundreds of other examples. Right. But. Anybody who could who could really think through the, the the customer experience, right, the process of purchasing, and I don't care if it's online, I don't care if it's in a store, whatever it is, right. Those are the businesses that are going to start to thrive because people will immediately go to the path of least resistance that does the things that they want. Like if they can get in the store, get what they want, use the touchless, bag up their stuff themselves, or whatever it is, and get out. I won't go back to the place that asks me if I have to touch the screen two or three times to ship something versus I go to the other place and they type everything in for me. I don't have to touch anything and I tap my phone on on the machine and it pays for it. I don't care if it costs more, right? It makes no sense. And you wonder, has anybody thought through this customer experience? Have they thought about you know, how illogical some of what they're doing may be. I, I remember not that long ago, because I'm a big Apple Pay fan as well, I tried to get somebody from Verifone to come on my podcast to talk about 
they're terrible machines that they make. And what the reason that I say they're terrible is they're in so many retailers and they're this big rectangular box with a big screen on it. But nowhere does it say where you should hold your phone or your your put your watch or whatever to activate the touch feature. So you're banging it all over this machine trying to get it to work. And maybe you'll get lucky and find the spot. Whereas other companies, they've designed a machine that has a very specific little pad. Some of them light up and say, here's where you go to touch it. Makes perfectly logical sense. But it's like they've enabled a capability and then hidden it in a way that makes it very unfriendly for people to actually use. They could just stick a sticker on it. That's right. That's literally all you'd need to do is stick a sticker on it. And they didn't even go that far. Like an X or a target or something that you just stick it on there. For those listening, most machines, it's the middle of the screen. I know that doesn't make any sense, but that's where it is in most payment machines. It's somewhere stuck in the middle, huh? Right. And we were talking before the show and I did my newsletter, my marketing newsletter this morning. I was actually talking about things to look forward to in 2021. Uh, Well, not necessarily look forward to, but things to look for in 2021 for businesses. And uh, I was chatting with my dad. He's a retired professor of corporate strategy. So he's got a little bit of idea of what's what's going on. Right. And because he only retired this year. Not that he wouldn't if it was later, but that's another story. He doesn't listen to this anyway, so I don't have to worry about him giving me shit for it here. So he said, well, if you take the lady down the road who owns the restaurant, she is having to package her stuff in parchment paper because she can't get the packaging for food products, right, to, to do takeout because every restaurant now needs takeout, right? Right. And so suddenly there's this massive uptick in the amount of packaging that's needed and there's not enough manufacturing and not enough supply for all these restaurants to have the stuff they need to do their takeout. While there's also all the retailers are going to online, which means they need boxes and they need packaging and they need packing materials. And all of these materials are all made out of paper and all the paper is made out of wood. And there's only so much wood right? That's already being logged. That's already being used for these materials, which has made the cost of lumber has almost tripled where we live. I believe that. Yeah. And the cost of lumber has tripled, which means that new housing costs more money. So the same thing that is causing the lady at the end of the street who has a restaurant, her supply chain to have to find new ways to wrap up their to-go orders is the same reason why it costs more to put a brand new house and get it built because the cost of lumber has gone up so much. And so businesses need to think all the way through their supply chain. And what does that mean for their business in the future? And how can they shift what they're doing and not necessarily pivot their business, but change their strategy to go along with, with whatever the market changes are. And, you know, that could be changes in how your clients do business. It could be changes in how they make decisions it could be changes just like we're saying, right? You know, you're going to go to the place that, that is touch-free payment. And if everywhere else has touch-free payment and you don't, what do you think is going to happen to your store? Yeah, that's exactly right. If people don't feel safe in your store, they're, they're not going to go to it, right? I know that one of our clients, they uh, have a winery. And when they couldn't have people come in to do wine tasting and stuff like that, Then they had, if you order over a certain amount, they would do free delivery. And then they just got, you know, a little bit of extra insurance and stuff that they needed to have people deliver. And then, you know, her and her husband, their small business and and a couple of their employees were out delivering wine all over instead of running the tasting room. And, you know, they're starting to pick up again. I don't think they're back where they were before COVID, 
but they're doing a lot better than the wineries that are shutting their doors and the tasting rooms that are going out of business because they found a new way to deliver to the customer that the customers want and they like. And, you know, everybody's happy in that process. I love that you use the word pivot because, you know, we're talking about 2021. And I think that that's such an important thing for businesses to keep in mind is what's the trip in Canada, right? What's the famous uh, Wayne uh, Gretzky quote, you know, skate to where the puck is going, not to where it is or something like that. Skate to where it's going to be. Going to be. Yeah. And I think that there are businesses out there that get a little stubborn and they say, well, we just have to wait for things to come back. You know, you know, Youngstown, Ohio, the steel mills are probably not going to reopen. So it's not going to happen. You can't stay there. Right. So you have to look for where there are opportunities. And I think the smart businesses and honestly, What's been kind of interesting during COVID is to see how adaptive some businesses have been. You, you use the example of, you know, businesses that have started doing takeout delivery and you thought, well, why weren't they doing this all along? It just seems to make so much sense, but they've had to adapt and, and change their business model a little bit, either by hiring their own drivers or getting in with a service like Uber Eats or DoorDash or one of those. But businesses need to look for opportunities to, you know, pivot to the right, pivot to the left, look for those open lanes, as opposed to just sitting and waiting for things to return to the way they were, because maybe they never will return to the way they were. I, I was reading an interesting article the other day talking about we work. That was such a big story earlier in the year about that disaster. And many people kind of assumed that that company was just going to die a slow death. But now maybe it's got a whole new life because companies are saying, look, we don't want to have big corporate office buildings. We want to let people work wherever. And some people aren't going to be able to work out of their home for a variety of reasons. So maybe they need some shared office space. So here's a company who's sort of gone up and down, riding these different waves of the economy and circumstance. But they're looking for opportunities to find a niche where they can be successful, where, you know, something a door closed to them, which has now forced them to look at other ways of doing business. There's so many ways to pivot a business. But the other thing about it is you have to remember that weighted out is a terrible strategy, right? For almost every business. Yep. Like weighted out is not a good idea. If you're, if your strategy is weighted out, you better be sitting on a mountain of cash. Yep. Like a mountain of cash because you are going to just hemorrhage money for a long time before anything comes back to any semblance of normal. But you have to think like, are these changes that are happening, the cultural changes, right, of how people, you know, spend their money and their time, are those things going to be permanent? And that's one thing you need to look at. Or how are, are people going to adjust after? I mean, it's not going back to the way it was before. I mean, I had a podcast in July of this year called World 2.0 saying, look, this is the new world going forward. It's time to kind of get with the times, right? And I'm actually scheduled to talk to the same guy, Phil Palucha from Billionaires and Boxers podcast is going to be on again. We're going to talk about World 2.1. And that's like, what have the changes been since we talked about World 2.0? Which is a significant amount of change in such a short period of time, right? Right. It's a significant amount of change. But there's cultural changes, but then there's like technological changes. And I think this is the one where people always lose it. And the technological change part, I go back to way, way, way back. And I don't know the exact year, but when they started having the gramophone as the way to play music in people's homes, instead of having to have a piano mm. way back in the day, if you want a music in your house, somebody had to play it. There was no recording device. So what happened is piano stores and piano manufacturers started going out of business 
Well, all they did was take all the employees that used to make pianos and retrain them to make gramophones. There's not a huge amount of loss there. It's just people switching jobs. Some companies went broke because they still tried to sell pianos instead of opening up a gramophone store, right? But we're seeing technologies that are coming out right now that are not going to be replaceable. You can't just retrain someone. Right. Like the arm that you could put in a fast food place that can make French fries and flip burgers that will do it for $30,000 for the next 20 years. 24 hours a day and never complain and doesn't need matching payroll or a 401k or workers' compensation. Those are going to revolutionize the fast food industry. Oh, yeah. That is going to wipe out all of those jobs of those people with a very small workforce, right? If you look at an Amazon warehouse compared to a warehouse 20 years ago, it's got a tenth of the staff and 10 times the productivity. People working with machines together, whether you like Amazon or not, is against the point. The point is they're not retraining the people who lost the other jobs unless some of them went to Amazon warehouses, right? People who used to work in the other warehouses, they're out. And AIs that can do jobs that people do, especially people who work with data where there's a process, where there's a limited amount of choice and the computer can help someone make the decisions, an AI is going to take that job and and it's never going to be replaced. So. You really need to be looking at your business and saying, in the new world, are these things going to be affecting my business so much that it's worth even staying in business? Because in some cases, it's better to shut down now than to lose everything over the long run. I think you're right. And I would just add this, too, about the changes in the workforce is, you know, for the first time ever, we saw that the government extended unemployment benefits to independent contractors, which was really something new, at least in most states. And we've seen, you know, a lot of layoffs. I think we're still hovering at the time of this recording. I, I want to say somewhere between 10 and 11 million people sort of in the states, uh, at least that are unemployed. And a lot of those people are not going to go back to the same kind of jobs that they had before, to your point. But I do think that a lot of companies are going to say, well, rather than building up my full-time workforce again, I'm going to look at what kind of jobs I can farm out to independent contractors, to freelancers, to other smaller companies, instead of hiring other full-time people that, you know, do have that burden on my payroll, I have to pay benefits to. So I think we're going to see an increasingly large workforce of independent contractors out there, which I think is great for a lot of businesses because it's going to give them a lot of choice, a lot of expertise that they're going to be able to bring on board for predefined periods of time and get some high quality work without having to hire on a a full-time person. Yeah. And gig work, like the gig work economy has been normalized at this point. You know, it's, it's not uncommon, especially for younger people or maybe people who have are less prevalent in the job fields, maybe because they are immigrants or maybe they have a language barrier or something. So you don't see them as commonly in other jobs. A lot of those people are in the gig economy work now. It's not uncommon to ask someone what they do. And they're like, oh, I'm a Uber driver at night and on the weekend. And I do Instacart, you know, during the day or something. Right. They have flexible work times, you know, flexible scheduling. You can work more to make more things like that. For a lot of people, those are really good jobs with really good benefits. But also for a lot of other people, those are not good jobs, right? (laughs) So for some people, you know, they they are going to lose the stability of a long-term position 
But I mean, if you're in what, you know, what at least the government considers unskilled workforce or labor force, you're, you could be in real trouble coming up. And, you know, if you're a business, you can also look at how is this labor force going to not only affect you, but are those people your customers? Oh, absolutely. You could be losing a mass amount of customers. If you're the buffet restaurant, God forbid that you could even open again at some point. But if you actually get to open again and all the people who are your customers don't have jobs anymore, now you've got a real, you know, an even worse problem than you had to start with. Yeah. And, you know, as we're entering sort of the the last couple of weeks here of uh, 2020, it, it's this weird place that I think we're in as the economy people actually do in some areas have money that they've saved up because they haven't been going on vacations. They haven't been traveling. They've been staying home a lot more, not going out to eat. And so, you know, there are a lot of analysts that are predicting this holiday season is going to be pretty robust because people are just using that money to buy things. There's certainly a lot of home improvement and other things that are going on right now. But then you have this whole other side of the economy, which you just talked about, which is people that have been displaced, who have lost their jobs, whose jobs just may never come back. And they're going to be hurting in a, in a very different way. And that's probably going to show up in this next year. And I would even say, as we're on the topic of technology, that we're starting to see the beginnings of maybe some significant change in so much of what we do as marketers because of the regulatory pressure that's now coming on to Google, onto Facebook and some of these other platforms. Now, I don't think that there is huge imminent change that's going to be a factor in 2021. These things take years to litigate, but I think the wheels have started to turn in that direction and we're probably going to see some changes there, which is going to open up competitive opportunities for other businesses. You know, there have been talks, for example, about Apple getting into the search engine business and other things. So we may start to see some of that unfold even this year. And it's something to keep an eye on as marketers, but it's probably not going to change our plans for 2021. Right. And I think it's going to be important to try and maybe hedge some of your bets on if all your eggs are in the Facebook and Google marketing baskets, as they are with most companies, it's going to be time to diversify people if you haven't already. Absolutely. There's lots of other options and, you know, maybe they don't have 80% market share, but it, just because you're diversifying doesn't mean you can't still use Facebook and Google. All right. And I would say that one of the things that I've been advising my clients is especially during a time when some have pulled back on their marketing budgets because they're a little uncertain of where the economy is going. Now is an excellent time to be investing in content. You know, you're an SEO expert. You know that content doesn't rank day one. You know, it takes time. You've got to give it time to mature out there and show up. And I tell all my clients that while you're uncertain about what's going to be going on, get good quality content out there. Let it let it start to mature in these search engines because search engines, whether things change with Google or not, they're not going away. There's always going to be a, a platform for searching. And so if you start to build good domain authority and start to get good content out there, that is going to benefit you in the long term. And that can be done very inexpensively during these uh, slower periods. Yeah. And I think it's really a good time for people to look at kind of their web properties and, and, you know, websites and whatever else they have, whether it's apps or something like that. How are people using your sites and your information? And what are you missing that people are looking for? And what maybe do you have that, that is not useful, right? And how can you 
trim down your experience to the most value with the least amount of time. And that's really what it all comes down to. How can I get the most bang for my buck and people can get it as quickly as they need to? And it's going to be different for every industry, right? So if I'm an engineer at a manufacturing plant and I'm looking for a new manufacturing process, maybe the quickest thing I need is a 20-page white paper. Everything doesn't have to be Twitter-sized content, right? But if I'm a consumer and I'm looking to get tires for my car, maybe all I need to know is what kind of tires fit on my car and are good in the winter or good in the rain or something like that. And I don't need a 20 page white paper about what the tire is. Right. So getting the right content of the right length and the right size in front of the right people at the time they need it. Absolutely critical. And creating that content, like you said, you know, for search and everybody thinks when you say content, everybody says blog, 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 blog. Well, you know what we're doing right now? This is not a blog, right? Podcast, it's content, right? Right. Why do you think that all these marketing companies out there have podcasts? It's a great way to get SEO. It's a great way to get content. It's a fantastic way to meet people. It's a great way to let people know about, you know, your company or your brand, right? Yeah, it's growing like crazy. Yeah, it's growing like crazy. And man, if you have something that you can wrap around your business, right? And you know what I would listen to endlessly is like a podcast that's about local restaurants around where I live. I would listen to the shit out of that. I would listen to that every single day. I would listen to that, right? I'd be like, man, I want to go to the place where the guy explains to me the history of he, how he came to be, you know, a chef and, and he created this restaurant and, and he's uplifted this, you know, maybe like street tacos to this. Now what is, a, is you know, a, a fancier kind of restaurant where you can get these foods and he gets it from the farmer who does this and the lady down the road raises cooney cooney pigs because it's the best pork for the pork taco you can get in the whole world. I would list that all day long. You know, many restaurant podcasts i can find like zero <laughs> you know there's all these spaces out there for content it seems to me actually that people who were already good at creating audio or or similar types of content are the ones where there's lots of podcasts and what's missing is everything else in the whole world <laughs> right you know, you bring up a couple interesting points there. And the, the first thing that I would comment on is to say that, you know, we talked about how work is changing. You've got a lot of people doing remote work and they're consuming content in different ways. Not everybody is sitting at their desk from eight to five. And when they get bored, they get on the internet and start scrolling through their favorite web pages. Now they're sitting on the couch and doing that. So maybe that's on a phone, maybe that's on a tablet. And so our business is making sure that their content is mobile friendly, that it's a good user experience on a tablet, on a phone, because more and more are doing that. Obviously, podcasts are a listening medium, but I'm sure your statistics are probably pretty close to mine. And I want to say something like 75% of content or podcasts are consumed on a mobile device. The numbers are very, very high. And so I think that's something that, that businesses have to be acutely aware of is making sure that not only is their content quick and easily digestible, but it's digestible in the form that the customer, the prospect wants it, whether that's audio, whether that's video, whether that's a mobile friendly thing. Like you said, uh, a 20 page white paper is not a very phone friendly piece of content. And that might not be where you want to go with your business. Right. And, and you need to look at your audience and see where they're coming from and what they're using. And, you know, the, the nice thing about 
podcasts, if you go like podcasts, audio books kind of fit in the same genre, those combined are getting close to taking over half of what people listen to in vehicles. And I mean, that's a huge shift. Like 20 years ago, if you said a bunch of people recording interviews, you know, on the Internet was going to beat out radio, you'd think I was crazy, right? Radio has been around for 100 years, right? <laughs> it's, you know, and now, eh, you know, I don't know how many clients I've talked to and I say, you know, oh, we, we can do this, we can do this, we can do that. And, you know, we can always go with like TV or radio, like localized, right? And everybody's like radio, <laughs> You know, they're like, isn't isn't that expensive and worthless? And I'm like, well, it's not. And I'm not I'm not here to insult anybody in the radio business. I mean, there's there's great response you can get from radio still, especially some like iHeartRadio, you know, where you get online and offline. But that's a whole nother story. So we kind of I, I mean, we've kind of strayed all over the map here <laughs> so far, which is fun. I think, you know, it's good to kind of because we're, we're kind of looking at what's coming. I think, you know, building up content and authority is a great idea. If you had like one last thing to say, look, if I was some one of my clients' businesses, I'm looking at what's coming in 2021. Is there anything else that you think, wow, this is another angle that we should kind of watch out for that business owners maybe have a blind spot for? Yeah, I. this is a, a common refrain. And I don't think it's necessarily specific to 2021, but I think it's becoming more apparent. And that is that businesses need to figure out where there is friction in the customer's buying experience. We talked about things like payments and whatnot, but have you stood in the shoes of your customer and experienced an interaction with your organization in a way that you can see things from their vantage point? You know, we are dealing with companies like Amazon, which just continues to raise the bar and you may say, well, I don't compete against an Amazon. Well, you do in some ways because they are setting the standard for what people are expecting in terms of service levels. And I think far too many businesses, especially smaller ones, they get too close to their products or services. And sometimes, you know, they, they have that confirmational bias. They think that things are a certain way because they want to believe that they're a certain way. And if you actually step in the shoes of your customer you might be able to see some real areas of friction with them doing business with you. And I think COVID has exposed that we can go out to a restaurant or a business and you can see the ones that truly understand what a safety protocol is meant to do. And you can see the ones that are going through the motions to give the illusion that they're giving you some sort of safety. And it's because I don't think they've really stood in their customer's shoes and see how their customers are perceiving what they're doing. And so especially in this year of significant change, I think customers' expectations are being reset all over the place. And when you start to go back to restaurants or you start to go to a movie theater or wherever you go, you are not going to look at those businesses the same way in 2021 that you did in, in 2019, right? So that's my advice to businesses is just really get in the shoes of your customers and make sure that you understand what their expectations are going into the new year. Absolutely. And if you have a large enough organization that that maybe you're not easily recognizable by your staff, uh, your frontline staff, considering you have to wear a mask everywhere you go now, it's a great time to mystery shop your own company. Undercover boss, right? Put a mask on, put some sunglasses on, go shop at your own store, right? Or go sit in your own restaurant. You know, another thing I've been telling this for years is, is mystery shopping your competitors, 
right? Just give them a call one day. You don't have to do it from your shop, right? Borrow your wife's cell phone or something and give them a call. And, you know, my name's Jack and I'm looking to get some whatever the thing is that you sell. You know, find out what their process is. Find out what they say. Go look at their website. See if it tells customers who they are, what they do, how they're going to keep people safe, right? What protocols are they following for COVID, you know, and maybe you'll get some ideas for your own business. Absolutely. There's so many, many things to go over. <laughs> I wish we had all the time in the world to talk about it, but I think we should probably leave it off there for now. And and maybe we'll come back again at the end of 2021 and see how we did, or maybe like six months in. Yeah, that'd be great. Eric, if somebody wants to get a hold of you to find out more about what you guys do, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that. So I'm on uh, Twitter at E Dickman. That's E D I C K M A N N. Uh, my company is called the Five Echelon Group, and that's on the internet at fiveechelon.com. And the podcast again is called The Virtual CMO, and that's available on all of the podcast platforms that you're probably listening to. So I hope you'll check that out as well. Perfect. We'll have those links in the show notes too. You get the show notes at hookseo.com slash podcast. Eric, again, thanks for being on. It was a pleasure. Always great talk to you. We'll see you again soon. Stay safe out there. Matt, thanks for having me. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.